All right, welcome to uh, Useful Idiots. I'm Matt Taibbi. And I'm Katie Halper. So we have a really good show today. Yeah, we have Shahid Buttar, who we're interviewing, who is running against one of our favorite uh, friends of the show, Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> Nancy Pelosi, yeah. She doesn't know she's a friend of the show. And he's very well-dressed, so that makes me feel uncomfortable yeah. a little bit. And has a man bun. Today was uh, Veterans Day, so yeah, we're there, t- you yeah. might hear some percussive sound right. in the background. Because yes. there's a parade going by There's here. a parade going by, yeah. Does that mean you, you, you hate America, so that bothers you, right? I mean, I, more like I liked America until I couldn't access this building okay. um, because of some of the parade. So now my politics... Have really shifted. Okay. Um, before then, I was a big military interventionist, but things, things <laughs> so can change. On yeah. the way into the on building? On the way in, yeah. No, it is funny. When I was coming here, we were caught behind, you know, barricades. That's mm-hmm. not really the word. That's a little dramatic. French Revolution, French Commune. I mean, they're barricades. Are they barricades? Yeah. yeah. I guess so so yeah. we were caught behind them, and I had to sit there, and Born in the USA played, and I'm sure it was not with the intention that Bruce Springsteen had when he wrote that. I don't think it was critiquing foreign policy. Um, no, it wasn't. No, it was a tribute some... to Vietnam veterans. Without like the critique of the the thing that got them there in the first place. That's true. No. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, then they started talking. Someone was like on the bullhorn. They were like, uh, Blue Shield Empire, Blue Shield Blue Cross Empire was interesting. Am I making that up? It is Empire, right? There's a Blue Shield Empire. Empire Blue Cross. Blue... Yeah. There you go. Yeah. yeah I mean, never. The health insurance company. Yeah. Yeah. So the, okay, so that was mixed up with Bruce Springsteen and NYPD. They were giving them a shout out. So it was, it was yeah, it was interesting. Huh. Hate the game, not the player. Hate the military industrial complex, not the veteran. Right. That's what I say. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah I thought I was going to corner you there, but I, I, so close. Yeah. You yeah. dodged. You dodged. Yeah, I it. dodged. I like a draft dodger. All right. So what do we have for uh, Republicans suck this week? For Republicans suck, we have uh, the MAGA challenge. I don't know if you followed this, but there were some really great videos. I do in my private MAGA circles. Yeah. yeah an you do. Well, thing. you do watch Dancing with the Stars, which we have to we have to have an update <laughs> on that. So who knows what you what you watch? So this was a bunch of people like just rapping about. Um, Donald Trump, so I wanted to share one with you. This is a rap about a MAGA hat. Wait, can we stop? Yeah. So this is a bunch of people sort of doing MAGA-themed like, yeah. performances. Yeah. Basically, some of them are in their cars and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, a lot that. of them are in their cars. That's interesting, yeah. Yeah, maybe that's where they live. No, okay. then they should really not support Trump. Yeah, or, you know, it depends on what kind of car you have, I guess. Oh, yeah, it's true, yeah. Um... So what does what does she mean? This is a rap about a MAGA hats. Make oh, did she say plural? I think so. Like, can we start over? Maybe she's like Emily Dickinson style, near rhyme, flat rhyme. This is a rap about a MAGA hat. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> the one that always taken by a Democrat. A Democrat. A Democrat. Trump's policies are so grand. Watching the economy expand. So take your friends to a MAGA crowd where the love of freedom is found. Let all right. us belong okay. all right. to the Trump plan. Ethic Len Beck, he's now a MAGA man. He is? I thought he, he is? Not. I thought he was uh, an anti... Yeah, he's a never-Trumper. So there's like fact-checking errors that doesn't agree Watch grammatically. The- Look, the International Federation of Rap—they're going to call in the airstrike. The rap artists on this thing—that's yeah. that's, that's that's among the worst rap yeah. acts I've ever seen. Yeah. There, there, were, there was a one that was that wasn't so bad. Yeah, actually. there was. You want to until the very one? end? We, we should we should make that caveat. Oh, well, so yeah, yeah. Let's see. Here he is, Matt. Matt, you like this guy? Democrat, I love you, 
Nice smile, though. Right. Cat cat on me with the limp, though. Trump 2024, that's a big tempo. Moment that I got it, how to snap it with the camera. Now I beat the case, like my boy Brett Kavanaugh. Democrats are tripping, they got betas, they got Asians. Talking about the math, but I guess no one explained it. Like, we fast forward to the end, yeah. Trump is whooping China deep state in the feds. Donald Trump's the goat. Tell your family, tell your friends. That's awesome. With the mic drop and then yeah, the mic drop with yeah. my phone. Yeah. So yeah. So I think we should ask our listeners to submit to, to uh, their favorite. If, if you have your own personal favorite, like right. MAGA themed rap, you should. Say, is, is there that's a, is, DC the Capital? That's who that DC user is. DC the Capital yeah. is yeah. an actual an actual artist. Do you think? Oh, I don't know. We've had a lot of MAGA themed music in the show. Yeah, I know. Joy, what's her name? Joy Villa. We got to get her on the show. Yeah, absolutely. What is it? Hold your freedom or something? Yeah, the one where she had the barbed wire all over. Oh yeah, yeah. It's fantastic. Singer Joy Via is using her Grammy's look to send an anti-abortion message. The star walked the red carpet in a white floor-length Pronovius gown featuring a picture of a fetus. The fetus dress. Well, you have one of those. Every woman does. Yeah. Somewhere yeah. in her closet. It's like an LBD, little black dress. We all have it. We also have an LFD, little, little fetus little dress. Fetus dress. Yeah. That's like a good rap name. Little fetus. Little fetus. Little fetus. That's what I'm going to go by. Little fetus. Yeah. <laughs> Little zygote. Little zygote. Little zygote. Yeah. So yeah, that's the Republicans suck. Yeah, so Democrats suck this week. I think we have back-to-back Elizabeth Warren, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Elizabeth Warren had a very strange confrontation with um, Amy, Amy Goodman, Goodman at yeah. Democracy Now. It wasn't there, actually Democracy Now. It was at a, it was at a, a racial justice invo- climate forum. Yeah, Amy Goodman of Democracy right, now. Amy Goodman. Of, yes, exactly. And basically, Amy Goodman's doing talk about white people. Talk right? about her, yeah, yeah, her, yeah. her famous so, talk about, yeah. And she's 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 asking about the question is, should we continue to have primaries, the first primaries, be Iowa, New Hampshire, since they're, they're tiny, all white states? It's a totally legitimate question. Yeah. Among other things, even if you're taking the racist element out of it, it's just bad strategy because it produces candidates who don't appeal to the right. widest possible. Right. So so she asked this question and Warren just completely blows up. It's so weird. Okay, let's go to the video. Speaking about racial injustice, do you think the order of the primary state should change? You have Iowa and New Hampshire. Wait, let, they, me, let me just, before you finish, are you actually going to ask me to sit here and criticize Iowa and New Hampshire? <laughs> no, I'm asking about the order. No, that is what Iowa but, and New but Hampshire let me just ask. They're two of the whitest states in the country. And then we moved to South Carolina with a, um, a very significant uh, population of people of color. And it means the candidates spend so much of their time catering to those first two states. Overall, do you think that should change? Look, I'm just a player in the game on this one. And I am delighted to be in South Carolina. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much. You so much. Okay, watch watch how she says yeah at the end when she shakes her hand. Listen. Thank you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> What 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 happened to Liz? Why is she so angry? So so okay. So a week after we talked about big her structural big, big structural bailey, what she's doing, she's like this far away from the "I am Liz Holio" moment. Yeah, right. right. She's Liz about to. Holio. Yeah, yeah. Right. She's she's. You can tell like the a lot of public figures have like the simmering rage factor yeah, that's just below the but surface. But I've never really seen that with her. Oh, you haven't? Not really. No. 
Have, I guess you have. I mean, I guess most most politicians, they all have it because right. they hate everybody they talk of, to. It's right. just a question. But, when and where, yeah. But she's wearing thin a little bit, yeah. right? Like, I think, you that, think the Bloomberg entrance like threw her off or something? Did they? I don't know. There's Something is coming up. It's very weird. Maybe this was after she um, Amy Goodman asked her if she thought billionaires should exist. And she said yes. And maybe she felt like threatened by that question or like it was a gotcha. Right. Because Bernie doesn't think they should. Right. Not like they should be gulagged, just that they should be taxed. Yeah. Although some libertarians probably think that is a form of gulag. It's just a very strange reaction to have to somebody who's not really being terribly hostile to No, you. I know. You know who, You know the last person who was that hostile uh, on the left to Amy Goodman? Who? Bill Clinton. <laughs> you remember that? No. Can I say what no, some well, people... Let me, let me just finish. Let me just let, say... Let me, now, wait a minute. You started this, and every question you've asked has been hostile and combative. So you listen to my answer. Will you do that? They've been critical. Now, now you just listen to me. You ask the questions, and I'm going to answer. You have asked questions in a hostile, combative, and even disrespectful tone, But I and you have never been able to combat the facts I have given you. Now, you listen to this. He was just very like, that's a rude question, that's disrespectful, right. which is what he always does when anyone says something that's true. Right. And yeah, then, then, he, then, he, then he does yeah. the, the... Yeah. Oh, is it the this thing, or is it pointing? Is it... When did I say that, and to whom did I say that? Oh, right. He did that when he was... Uh, when he was busted saying that the Obama campaign played the race card. And oh, literally right. the next day, they were like, what did you mean when you said that? And he right. goes, when did I say that and to whom? No, I'm not going to play that game. That was good. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. When did I say and to whom? It was a little too high. Yeah. But um, yeah, and it was on the radio. That's the inconvenient thing about it. He said it on the radio. Yeah. Not yeah. a good look, Bill. But the, the Clintons are good at that because they got the vast right-wing conspiracy narrative that they just shove everything into. Right, but the, the, there's the this is the less than vast democracy now con- yeah, conspiracy. Yeah, it's true. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. I, it's a very strange thing for her to get upset yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope she she probably needed to spend some good time some time with Bailey after this. <laughs> Big structural Bailey. Yeah. The, the funny thing is that there the, that whole thing blew up. On no Twitter. pun intended. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Blow up, do- blow up doll. That of a was dog really funny. You did this you. for a living, right? I, I am a punster. My dad is a big punster. There was a lot big of pun. stuff on on Twitter about uh, big structural Bailey, and some of them were just re- the funniest thing I, that I saw was somebody saying, uh, "Big structural Bailey wears two pennies on his collar so he can place them on the eyes of his victims." Oh my God. <laughs> That is who did that? What do we have there? At zero, uh, at zero suit Camus, I guess who it is. Was this that, in that response to fun. us, or you just found it on? Twitter? No, I just found there's oh, a whole okay. there's a whole series of right. people who are like writing all these things about basically right. uh, big structural Bailey being like the fourth sign of the apocalypse right. or something right. like that. It's very funny, but um, very weird. So that's a bad yeah. couple of weeks. For, yeah. For, did we get any responses to people? Did did people agree that this was a Liz Holyoke. Oh yeah, a lot of people Holyoke? were doing the the uh, hashtag Liz Holyoke, yeah. which I think oh, should great. be yeah. a thing. Yeah. Should, so yeah. if anybody does a really good Cornholio impersonation, yeah, yours like, was we, pretty good. It was all right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No one else felt what I felt, which was that it was a dirty dancing move, um, <laughs> which is when baby gets lifted up by Patrick Swayze. Although I think her arms are like this or like this, not really like this. But anyway, it was a great scene. Yeah, and a great movie. So what do we have oh, for, for isn't that terrible? Yeah. Um, the isn't that terrible is that there was a basically a coup in Bolivia that overthrew Evo Morales. Reading from Democracy Now, uh, Amy Goodman. Talk about Bolivia. Talk about talk about Bolivia. Also, when you say something that she agrees with, that's very subjective and critical, and she wants to be like, mm-hmm. She goes, hmm. Like David Rockefeller died, and he killed a lot of people, and supported this coup mm. and that coup. Mm. 
So Bolivia hmm, is in a state of political crisis after longtime president Evo Morales resigned Sunday following what he described as a military coup. Bolivia has been the scene of weeks of protests since a disputed election last month. Month Morales Morales announced his resignation in a televised address Sunday to my brothers and sisters of Bolivia, the whole world. I want to inform you. I'm here with the vice president and minister of health that I decided after listening to my friends at Conalcam and the Bolivian Worker Center and also listening to the Catholic Church to resign my position as president. And this was shortly after the Bolivian military took to the airwaves to call for his resignation. Bolivia's vice president also resigned Sunday, as did the head of the Bolivian Senate and the lower house. Opposition leader Janine Añez, who is the second vice president of the Bolivian Senate, is claiming she will assume the presidency today. Also, there were like people, right wingers took over the airwaves. They like attacked people physically to stop them from broadcasting the protests. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not a good look um, in Bolivia. But that's that's terrible. And then what's extra terrible on top of that on the isn't that terrible is you have not surprisingly Secretary Mike Pompeo, of course, writes fully support the findings of the OAS recommending new elections in Bolivia to ensure a truly democratic process, representative of the people's will, the credibility of the electoral system must be restored. So this is this huge hawk, right? Mm-hmm. Like, who's also evangelical. I didn't know that. He's an Italian evangelical. Okay. Apparently yeah. they, ex- they exist. They're, yeah. I, I, I didn't see them. They were unseen. Hold on. <laughs> yeah. okay. So what's amazing, though, is that um, we could play a game. Who said it? Pompeo or Clary Jeffrey, Clary Jeffrey. Uh, editor of Mother Jones? Yes, I believe so. Dicey times in Bolivia. Morales had taken several end runs around a democratic process, but let's hope it is a democratic process that succeeds him. So it's always good when the editor of a liberal magazine named after Mother Jones, who, thank God, is not lie around to see this, basically has the same line as Mike Pompeo. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Mother Jones has had a, 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 uh, an, yeah. an interesting transformation yeah. in the last couple she of really years. She really doesn't but... like homeless people. Um, she doesn't like people on the on BART. She doesn't like homeless people in general. You know, she uh, doesn't like millennials. She's pretty terrible, and so is Ken Drum. Ken or Kevin? Kevin. Ken. Kevin, yeah. Yeah, and then she, she also had a... Uh, Will Menneker, a friend of the show had a, a series of uh, tweets posted next to each other where it was basically this, and it was a prior tweet that she had done basically saying that using recycled toilet paper is literally the least we can do to prevent climate change. So as we discussed last week, you know, that's already not the correct right. position. But but basically, he's basically saying this is modern liberal, liberalism in a... In two, in a in two tweets, yeah. right? Because yeah. the activism is is using recycled toilet paper, but then you know, in reality, it's it's supporting an American military-backed coup. Right. Okay. So stay, never change, Clara Jeffrey. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Isn't that weird? I, I just I'm really interested in this new phenomenon of somebody circulates something on the internet that just looks funny, like a video, and it bleeds into the, like the real. Uh, news process, like articles get written about it, and then that then fact checking organizations fact check these videos that have no real meaning or source or anything like that. So, uh, human faced carp found in China uh, became a thing. Have you seen the human faced carp? No. Here's just like a video of this fish that looks like it has a human face, Does it? Okay. and it literally looks exactly like the fish from the beginning of the Meaning of Life, the Monty Python movie. Oh, if you okay. can see that clip. Oh my God! It does look alike. It it's, does it's look like the same it. exact. Yeah. So I, I almost think it's like somebody you just doctored the video. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so what? Somebody found a carp that looks like a person, uh, and Snopes actually de- devoted time to do a fact check. Did they talk the, to the carp? Yeah, uh, they didn't talk to the carp. They just they just 
scanned it. And they said, based on what we found about similar sightings, however, it seems likely that this is a genuine video of a fish with markings on its head that resemble a, quote, human face when viewed from a certain angle. At the very least, this video is certainly more convincing than this digitally created hoax of a fish with a human face that we covered earlier this year. Apparently, there was another fish with a human face story. But that, was a scan- that wasn't true. That was m- even, that was more, like, obviously, re- like, like, it's just somebody who did, like, a Thomas, oh my God, a that's Thomas really the scary. Train yeah. face on a fish. That's so scary. So, it, it's just funny. I guess now we're doing the same thing. Like, serious news people are now devoting time to As fish. serious as useful idiots. Yeah, I exactly. Mean, you know, yeah, yeah. you know it's, it's penetrating serious news when anyway isn't that weird isn't that weird yeah great i like that we learned a lot so by the way um we spoke briefly about sponsorship last week and mm-hmm. it was funny because you came in with a jersey we didn't coordinate it and For the xfl you already forgot what it was the what xfl the xfl yeah. the xfl mm-hmm. the xfl um football league mm-hmm. which is a new york-based football league well it's a national league. national league it's an alternative to the nfl oh okay got it it's got like it. it's, it's like alt fl Right, Alt yeah. FL, yeah. And literally when I was coming in, I was like, Oh, I need a hair and hair and makeup sponsor, which which I mentioned and Yeah, I and think I, the same thing all the time. But anyway, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, about yeah. yourself though, yeah, not yeah. me. Mm-hmm. Um I uh was thinking of someone had told me about blink, blink mascara, which it doesn't paint your eyes, it puts tubes on them, which sounds like torture, but it's actually just very nice. So blink if you're out there, that's cool. But the irony is that that was the one day I put my hair up and the one day I'm not blaming anyone in the studio because I think you couldn't see the angle, but I had like a very weird thing going on in my ponytail. And it was like the face of Jesus in your ponytail. Yeah, it was a carp. It was a carp face <laughs> human or a human face carp. But uh, it was very, it was very dry, and it was just, it, it, in a way, it made a good point because I was really selling how much I needed the hair product and makeup product. So yeah, anyone, even if you're bad, you have blood on your hands, I'll still take it because I would rather take product from you. And it's going towards a good cause, and our message is so important. Then you give it to someone else who will just. So you're saying basically that the thing that was going on with your hair last week was an intentional way. It was. It, w- it was an effort to try to get a sponsor. It wasn't. It wasn't but like it, just. But I'm gonna recast happened. it as that. Yeah, and it's just okay. funny because it's the one time I put my hair up, and then I thought it looked kind of nice. Yeah, it looked good. But it, I don't know if you noticed there was like a crunchy, like a dry thing. So I'm gonna have to. I have to get like a. I'm gonna have to ask the crew to walk around, do a like 360. Um, tour of my of my uh, hair and makeup. Okay, excellent. I'm write that into the rider, into the contract. Well, so we we should talk about also another thing from the last show. We discussed Jeffrey Epstein. Jeffrey Epstein and the the ABC yes, news. Amy Robach. Amy Robach, and then that whole fiasco. There's just so many bizarre things that happened with yes. that story. Like so, so well, we got there was a leak, right? A footage of Amy Robach, which yeah. we played last week, where she's basically this ABC reporter who's saying that she sat on the story and wanted to release it, and they wouldn't let her because Andrew Prince Andrew's involved, and then they couldn't Will access Kate, the royal family because yeah, of that. Yeah. Then a woman who they said leaked it. Um, her name is Ashley Bianco. She was fired. This is a woman who was a producer who left ABC for CBS, not for any kind of like conflict reasons, just for they offered her a good deal. She, it was like four days into her, her job at CBS where she, and she got fired. She was accused of leaking it and she had clipped the footage, but she didn't leak it. She claimed she didn't leak it. And also James O'Keefe, who's that terrible little chi- man child at Project Veritas, he says that she didn't leak it, it was someone else. And then and then an anonymous person wrote something that Project Veritas posted, which is like, come on, like, come out. Like, right. it, it's like, I, I appreciate that you're saying it's not her, but it'd be nice if you could actually take the, 
since she's taking the fall for you, right. maybe reclaim that. And Anyway, yeah. but hopefully she'll get a gig out of it. Um, she went on Megyn Kelly because, again, the liberals don't let these people talk. So they, so they are all go to the right. Yeah. yeah, and then that's used to delegitimize them. But, yeah, and, and, you know, really quickly about Project Veritas. So they're terrible. And the reason that one of their most famous scandals was that they got Acorn into a lot of trouble. But what they did was they dressed up, James O'Keefe dressed up as a pimp, and he had a woman with him who was claimed to be a prostitute, a sex worker. I'm sure they didn't use that language. And they walked into a San Diego, um, I believe San Diego, California, uh, Acorn office, and they said, hi, we're looking for a way to smuggle like underage women into the country. Is that cool? Can you help us? And the guy they were talking to, this guy who was at Acorn, wanted to kind of entrap them, like unofficially entrap them, right? So he was like, yeah, okay, yeah, sounds good. Tell me more. And he got the info from them. As soon as they left, he called his cousin who worked for the police force. Uh-huh. And he notified all these other people. Right. But they just released the video of him saying like, yeah, sounds good. You know, you should bring them through Tijuana because that's a better place to do it. They released it to make it look like he was actually a willing participant in this as opposed mm. to kind of leading like a rogue sting operation. Right. And then he did sue um, James O'Keefe and got like $100,000 in settlement. And he apologized, but that's not a lot of money. Yeah, carrying it, charges. Yeah. No, and, and the, the, the whole Project Veritas thing, you know, they're, they're making a living off the dumb things that people say in right. media companies because they say them, you exactly. know, which is kind and of a problem. Right, and, right. And, and then, you know, exacerbating everything that happened with the, the leak, uh, this business from ABC with the Epstein story is that none of the major sort of media critics uh, on television or any of the cable shows brought it up. It was like there was an omerta about the thing that, had, that, right. that, uh, that came out. So now everybody and his or her brother on Twitter is talking about this and on social media across the country, they all know about this thing that happened at, a- at ABC. Right. Because none of the, ma- the, the big media companies are talking about it, it just makes them look even dumber. Right. You know, I just don't understand that the, the mentality of not owning some of this stuff. And Ryan Grimm tweeted, ABC spiked its Epstein report three years ago. If the network bosses don't want this stuff ending up in the hands of James O'Keefe, FFS maybe stop doing this and have the courage to publish your reporting. Right. And I would say the similar thing. And also, like, if they don't want, if liberals don't want Project Veritas to be armed with this stuff, then they should be reporting on it. Yeah, like, no. you know, so. I mean, yeah. it's it, this whole business, the, the the media, the fake news and all that stuff. It, the conservatives are getting so much mileage out of it. Right. Because there's an element of truth to it. Yeah, that, exactly. That they, just, they, they can't get out of their own way yeah. with this stuff, which is crazy. And then there's a vacuum because the libs don't talk about it. And then they have the monopoly on it and then the libs who don't want to talk about it use that to marginalize the story right right. um really quickly we just need an update we forgot to do it last week uh from another victim on from camp crystal lake better oh yeah has dropped out of the out of the race and obviously the world is mourning but um what can you really say about Beto, this? Better we hardly knew you. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the somebody I, I met in the campaign, another campaign worker, basically summed up the only thing that he's going to be remembered for in this race is the fact that he pointed downward a lot. Right? Yeah, he did. Uh, yeah, and that if you if you go back, he d- he says this happened, and like that's his way yeah. of talking. And yeah, that's, this happened. Yeah. yeah. He also, when I heard that Better dropped out, I was like, "Fuck no!" Because uh, of course he likes to drop the f bomb. Oh, that's right. In fact, yeah. I have. Can I play a little short? Mm-hmm. Um, Better works even stronger curse word. And I was like, yeah, what the f- 
I mean, we're, I'm running for... Delivered with his 10-year-old daughter Molly beside him, <laughs> caused a fellow Democrat to confront O'Rourke. We already have one vulgar in chief. Do we need to replace him with another? Fuck Come you. on, Beto. Clean up your act, honestly. Yeah, no, I, great point, and I don't intend to use the F word going forward. In the past, it was Ted Cruz who used an ad to attack Beto for his language. Sharing his wit. How f***ed up is that? His wisdom. <laughs> what the f*** are these guys doing? <laughs> and many of Beto's supporters think their guy dropping the F-bomb is the bomb. Isn't that great? That's really funny. Dropping yeah. the F-bomb is the bomb. Wow, that's so Ron Burgundy. Yeah. Yeah, that's very, fantastic. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I really, I, I always love that kind of TV writing. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic stuff. And the, the cadence. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he fantastic. does really go like that better, yeah. Yeah, so he's he's gone. I don't know. Is that going to have a palpable effect on the race? Oh, you know it is because, as you may remember, uh, a friend of the show, um, Sydney Ember, mm-hmm. who lied this week about people leaving a Bernie speech, but we, we're going to have to talk about that next time because it'll take too much time to get into all of her lies. But um, she famously said that Bernie, in one of her pieces that was basically like the thesis of which is like Bernie's ideas are so popular, so he's definitely done. But she said that Bernie was outflanked on the left by Ocasio-Cortez, Ayanna Presley, and Beto O'Rourke. Right. Did we talk about this? No, no, but I mean, I believe it. Yeah, yeah. So now he's, you know, now Bernie has the left flank again now that Beto, you know, far leftist guerrilla uh, Che Guevara fan Beto O'Rourke is out of the race. And now Bernie's not no longer in the, the center into which Beto had pushed him. We're going to get into this too with, with Shahid, but it, it just seems like it's another example of how people who are covering the, the oh, race... Yeah. Like literally have no idea who the voters are. Right. right? Like yeah. it's it's almost like they haven't talked to anybody for decades. You know. Yeah. Uh, and they, they so they and think they're this, s- they're so contemptuous of. Yeah. It's just bizarre. Yeah. And um, really good. At, I mean, I almost admire how boldly they they lie. Other interesting thing this week there were there were a couple of uh, moments. I've been saying for a couple of years now that it, that the prime beneficiaries of the Trump era have been intelligence chiefs and uh, Wall Street titans because they were both facing cratering popularity heading into 2015, 2016. Like the public was getting really, really pissed at both. We had Occupy, we had the controversy about the NSA surveillance program. And then as soon as Trump came along, everybody forgot that they hated these people. Right, uh, and they all became rehabilitated and, oh, I'm so nostalgic for the days of, uh, of, Do- of George Bush. Right, yeah, exactly. Um, but every now and then they pop up uh, and they, they remind us what it was that we didn't like about right. these folks. So. Um, Bill Gates had a had a great moment this week where um, he was talking about his taxes. He was responding to Elizabeth Warren, basically, and uh, and he said this. And so, what would you do? All right, well, if you make the tax on capital the same as labor, uh, you go back to the estate tax that we used to have. Uh, doing something like the ten-year thing, you know, where it's super large fortune, the. The big fortunes are not, as Piketty says, a return on capital. The big fortunes are the return on creating companies that achieve very strong positions, particularly in the technology industry. That's where you get these super big numbers. Uh, And so there, you know, I've uh, paid over 10 billion in taxes. I paid more uh, than anyone in taxes. Uh, But I, you know, I'm glad to have paid, you know, if I'd had to pay $20 billion, it's fine. Uh, but, you know, when you say I should pay $100 billion, okay, then I'm right. starting to do a little math about uh, 
what I have left over. Sorry, I'm just kidding. And so he's talking about you know how much he'd be willing to pay uh, if Warren's tax plan actually gets done. Um, so that immediately got a response from from a bunch of people. And then Jamie Dimon was on uh, 60 Minutes, the, the the Chase CEO, and Leslie Stahl asks him. You know, hey, you made thirty-one million dollars last year. You think maybe that's like too much money, considering you, you know, you got bailed out or and all these other things. Executive pay last year, you were paid thirty-one million dollars. Too high. The board sets mine. I have nothing to do with it. Well, you could return some of it. I could. Is that going to solve any of those problems? I don't know. Is it going to solve any of those problems? No, but you and, could set an example. Say, I'm not going to take all that money. Okay. I don't need it. I, I could. I'm going to leave it to the board to set my comp, not you, not the press. You've answered my board, every one of my questions, my board. but this one you're fobbing off. Yeah, the board has to do it. Well, let wow. me ask it in a general way. He's obsessed with his board. Yeah. He's, in this country? He's the chairman of the of board. Of the board, right. Yeah. There's that, so, too. You know, that's well, he like really a, believes in democracy, Matt, so he wants the board, uh, yeah. Yeah, I was a little dis- disappointed, and you know, she could have pushed, pu- yeah. pushed back on that a little bit. Also, it's so classically Jamie Dimon. Like, she asked him a question, and... Jamie Dimon is one of the few people in the world who can't avoid being a jerk yeah. for more than like 20 consecutive seconds. Right, yeah. Like if you keep him on any topic yeah, for, no matter for, what, for yeah, that long. Yeah, you can long, ask him like, what kind of dog he likes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. By the 15th second, he starts looking for a way to like punch right. you in the face. Yeah. It's hilarious. So that is also rocketing around. And it's just it's just terrible optics. Yeah. And this is one of the reasons why, you know, like we have the politics that we have today because right. these people are just so horrible. So She gets good, good responses. Remember she asked Madeleine Albright if it was worth it? Like if the Iraq sanctions were worth it? given how many babies died. And she was like, yeah, <laughs> Leslie Stahl did that. Yeah, it was a good, another Excellent. good moment of Leslie Stahl, yeah. We have heard that a half a million children have died. I mean, that's more children than died when, when, in, in Hiroshima. And, and, you know, is the price worth it? I think this is a very hard choice, but the price, we think the price is worth it. Just want to clarify something that some people are concerned by. I don't actually want to kill all cats. Should I not cave on that? Is that, you know? No, what? you can cave on that. Maybe. All right. I no, mean, no, no. Don't. Or don't however, I mean, whatever, be, be whatever. What you, yeah. I mean, I did feel like maybe that's a bit strong. And people actually wrote to me on Twitter, like saying that, you know, they're like, Katie, you said how having a dog made you more empathetic towards ants, but what about towards cats? So right. my, my cat aside thing is not real. The sharks is real. Okay. I'm, I'm sticking to that. And um, everyone will thank me. Everyone who's ever, who, if, if they go, you'll be saved. If you see a shark, stab say, it. If you see something, say, stab something. Right. If you right. see a shark, yeah. And um, really quickly, I just want to say um, that Sydney, you know, Sydney Ember, her lie was, was this. Mr. Sanders' campaign boasted repeatedly about their crowds this weekend, saying he and Ms. Ocasio-Cortez spoke to thousands of people in their two days in Iowa. But nowhere was it more apparent than in Carlville on Saturday night, which of the speakers many of them had come to see. As soon as Ms. Ocasio-Cortez finished speaking, people began to head out the door. Okay, I'm sure that that was people going to the bathroom. And I'm sure that there were people, people who are there. You can see the crowds. They don't change. It's mm-hmm. not like a dwindling of the crowd. And don't worry, I'm not going to do her voice again. No, it's, like, like, it's, like, it's like having a, a rail, railroad spike yeah, driven into like, your uh, ear. Nails you know, on the yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Um, so if anyone left en masse, it was probably like the, the press, you know, people like Sidney Ember and like, you know, Jonathan Martin and whoever else was there from like Politico or The right. Hill or, you know, whatever people who, who can't stand Bernie Sanders and, you know, call him a cheap Jew, basically. Remember Politico did that? I still can't get over that. They called like, him a cheap Jew? No, they were like, Bernie Sanders is um, is not poor, but he's cheap. Right. 
And they had him standing in front of a tree, a money, a literal money tree. Fantastic. A tree whose leaves were bills. Who needs subtlety? I know, yeah. And he had three houses, one in each hand and one coming out of his head. (laughs) It was absolutely amazing. They changed it. They changed the headline. But yeah, I love that. I guess while we're we're, uh, apologizing for things, I should just take the L on the felony murder thing. I mean, I'm basically wrong in that in honor of our our esteemed guest who who was very eloquent on the subject. Um, I'll rethink that. It was a teachable moment. It was. It's a teaching moment. So I was wrong and and so is the rule. So um, so we have a, a terrific interview and let's yeah. let's go to that now let's go to that now so we're going to bring on our guest shahid buttar mm-hmm. who is running against he's challenging nancy pelosi he is a constitutional lawyer also uh has a background in djing and uh spoken word organizing and um same-sex marriage uh legalizing legalization excellent so yeah he reminds me of a lot of myself <laughs> yeah <laughs> with the djing and the, the djing yeah. and you know influential um a- advocacy Excellent. Uh, Sounds interesting. I'm an aspiring jurist, kind of. Uh, Yeah, okay. So, Shahid Buttar, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Katie. Yeah, of course, yeah. I wanted to make sure that I got the pronunciation right, because there's a lot of overcorrection. You know, people are always like, Chavez. It's like, no, it's just Chavez. But people, so I've heard a lot of people call you Shahid Buttar, but it's Shahid Buttar. Yes, it's the difference between a martyr and and a witness in Arabic. Oh, really? I like to say if I have the chance to stick around and talk about it, I would much rather that. Wow. So so Shahid is witness. Yes, one who bears witness. And a Shahid is a martyr who sacrifices himself in the service of a cause. No, I'm I'm not sacrificing myself. I mean, you put a lot of work into it, but not sacrifice. Yeah. I plan to actually serve in the seat after I liberate it. Right. Yeah. That's my goal. Are, are, Are both names? In other words, are both, oh, both right. pronunciations as opposed used as to words. They're both names, ah. and they're used in very different places. So Shahid is very common in Pakistan, and Shahid is very common in other parts of the Muslim world. Wow. So, and what about the last name? Buttar is very unique. It refers to a moon clan, so it's, it's fairly regionally specific to Punjab in Pakistan, wow. and it's, it's particularly not widespread, far less common than my first name. Got it. Cool. Well, um, so we wanted to, before we talk about your very important campaign in San Francisco— um, for Congress. We want to talk about a recent victory um, that also happened in San Francisco. Chase Boudin, who was running for San Francisco DA. Now, to be fair, and you may be excited by this, he did get the Katie Helper Show bump, followed by like a, an assist from Useful Idiots. Right on. Um, so Thanks things for are that looking, bump. Yeah, yeah, of course. Things are looking really good for you. Um, and Chase <laughs> Boudin um, is the son of um, the former members of the Weather Underground, and they were incarcerated. They were underground. They turned themselves in when he was 14 months. His mom was released from jail after 22 years, I believe. His dad is going to, as of now, die in jail. Um, And he found out that he'd won because it was like a razor-thin victory. He found out he won on the plane back from visiting his dad in prison. Um, but I wanted to share just a comedic thing, uh, a cute little thing. I, of course, he got the Katie Helper Show bump, but also he had a very good spokeswoman named Arlo. So I want to share this video of a four-year-old. This is a girl who I um, spoke to at a fundraiser for Chesa Boudin on the Upper West Side that his friend Gideon threw. So just I thought this would be a cute little as as DA. So I'm start, so sorry. It, it begins with me trying to interview Chesa without any Arlo participation. Okay. As as DA. I want to say something. Okay. Okay. So, Arlo, we're, can you give us a few minutes? Mom. You can listen, but because she's trying to record something that other people are going to listen to. 
You can listen, right. but if you want to talk, you have to wait your turn. Yeah. Okay. Then, okay. Thank you, Arlo. Thank you. When did you get married, though? When did you get married? <laughs> Last question for the candidate. Uh, I mean, yeah. They didn't get married yet. Do you know why we're here today? Why? He wants to be... The president? Kind of. A little bit. Like the president... Like, but, but he wants to be the president because Donald Trump is the one we do not like. That's that is That's good. So true. Five. That's true. Yes. We're going to do a game, okay? You have to pretend that you're not here. Okay. Because it's going to be a secret that you're here. Because usually just we, we wouldn't let people be around us, but because you're special, you can. Okay? But we can't have, the people can't know you're here until later. It's going to be a surprise. Okay? All right. He will not be eligible for parole. I'm not talking to you. I was just burping. She goes, excuse me, I'm not talking to you. I was just burping. <laughs> and then here's her, her final analysis. Just so. Trump always says the wrong things. Like, he makes us say the wrong things. Like, that dad said. Like, I don't want to say it, be, but, it, like, the wrong words that dad said. Like, oh, man, or oh. <laughs> so obviously like the mom had told her like daddy curses because donald trump makes him mad so she was trying to express that but yeah I incredible that was really, active intrepid yeah, journalism to yeah that yeah, yeah she's yeah, really cute that child. I, I asked the parents i asked the parents oh, okay. oh yeah i got permission yeah but uh, i thought it was so cute and but she it's was kind like, of like the way donald trump asked help from Ukraine. I mean, it was an improper power balance. You weren't really asking. I know, was I like wasn't asking. Yeah, the, it was, well, know. yeah, and the parents really didn't have, they should have waited for her to turn 18 right. before they got, uh, right. you know, and then she I should have waited agency for her. In yeah, situation. yeah, exactly. Yeah, all right, well. Okay, uh, well, so, um, <laughs> tell us, so we, that, that, that would be a good segue into your own um, very important uh, historic campaign, um, but, but Matt and I got into our first on-air fight about okay. felony murder, because that is what put his parents away. That's right. So what is your take on that? Because we actually said we have to have a constitutional lawyer on to talk about it. So I'm since you're here. here, yeah. Yeah. You know, the felony murder rule is the rule that if you do something trivial in the service of, for instance, like a heist, let's say you're driving the getaway car and someone sticks up a grocery store and let's say somebody gets shot in the course of that robbery, the person who's driving the getaway car can be prosecuted, convicted, and right. serve very harsh penalties for murder. And my attitude with respect to the felony murder rule, first, it blames people who don't commit crimes for crimes that other people commit in the first instance. If we're going to have a rule like that, I would like to see us apply it to intelligence agencies and banks, because if white collar criminals had an equivalent of the felony murder rule, the entire CIA would be in prison. Everyone at all of the banks that were fleecing people through the 2000s, they would be in prison. But we only apply to powerless people these predatory rules, while we have very permissive ones for... Right. See, well, I'm, afraid, resource criminals. I'm afraid Matt's response is going to be yeah, yes and let's do both of those things. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I, I, the thing about, that I was saying about the felony murder rule is, you know, if we're going to have somebody who's in jail for a very long time, uh, you know, a crime that results in, in somebody dying is probably right. But you know, they didn't. But you know what else can happen? You can like drive the vehicle to. Um, or pick someone up when they go into a house and they don't even, they're not even armed. And let's say they didn't know the person was at home or something and they grab like a candlestick. So I'm not, I'm not saying these are not important bad things, no, I, but you know, I do think that. No, I get the argument against yeah. it. I, I totally do. And, yeah. and I'm, I'm just saying I understand right. both ways. Yeah. But yeah, no, I, I, I totally, because if you have the, for instance, the, the CIA situation, any felony in that, that uh, would, would be 
that anybody would commit and would also be participating in, say, the dro- a drone bombing. Right. Everybody I up totally, and down the chain of command. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. But yeah. now you're making it sound appealing. Now we're for uh, felony mur- felonies murder as a concept. Yeah. My right. preference, obviously, CIA. would be to decarcerate and lessen these burdens. But if we're going to apply right. these harsh rules, we should apply them evenly. And right. it is the unequal application of our very harsh justice right. system that means that we don't have anything resembling justice at right. the end of the day. Yeah. Which is the same situation with, like, for instance, enforcing fraud, right? Totally. It's like, you know, totally. welfare fraud, they right. go all the way to the max. They go for people who, you know, who commit welfare fraud. They put people in jail for that. When you have a $100 million fraud, you know, nothing, right? Yeah. It's a, or it's a settlement. Totally. Yeah. Or even to connect those contexts together to, to think about a CIA fraud, you know, the war right. on drugs right. is a grand elaborate scheme by the CIA in the 90s, right? The CIA admitted to running crack cocaine into Miami and L.A., and what we ended up doing was jailing a generation of low-income people of color for participating in a market that the CIA created. created. Never, right, right. Has never been forced to bear any accountability. Yeah, for. right. But you are here as Shahid bearing witness. Indeed, and I'm very eager to turn that screw. I want to see executive accountability, not just for our criminal president, but for our right. criminal intelligence agencies. Right. And I'm eager to help defend the human rights legacy that we're celebrating today on Veterans Day while undermining those very same human rights right. around the world. It's interesting that you said that because... Um, uh, this is we talk a lot about how things that sound like conspiracy theories are actually true. So the thing about the CIA, for instance, right. we need a conspiracy button, right? You know yeah, the yeah. Epstein stuff. Anyway, so um, well, tell us about your campaign. Um, tell us how it relates to Chase Boudin's campaign or sure. other kind of insurgent campaigns. He endorsed you. You have a bunch of great endorsements. I and don't know we'll if he's formally endorsed me yet, but oh, I Oh, I thought he had. Okay. I, I, I certainly Chase, uh, expect that he might. get on it. You got the Katie Halper trip on. Pay it forward. <laughs> Chase is amazing. And what his victory represents, I think, is that certainly San Francisco, and I think the rest of the country, too. You know, we had very uh, encouraging election results from Virginia, Kentucky, even all across the country, left-wing voices that are willing to put people before profit and communities before corporations are winning elections, even in places that people wouldn't expect and and figures that people wouldn't expect, someone like Chesa, right? And I do think myself as an immigrant constitutional lawyer, a Muslim challenging one of the most powerful corporate politicians in the country, in a traditional analysis, I think it just doesn't make sense. But given the earthquake that we are living through, and I think it is as simple as generational transition, Mm -hmm. I have a great deal of confidence. In fact, I don't think Speaker Pelosi stands a chance unless she starts showing up for work. I, mean, I don't think you can help the Trump administration as much as she does and still win a citywide election in San Francisco. Right, right. I mean, um, talk about the the talk about the, the, the sort of schism within the Democratic Party. Yes. I mean, I always saw it as fundamentally being about where the money comes from, mm-hmm. right? So you, you Not have, unfair. Um, you know, you have the party which has been so dependent for, especially since going back to the 80s when they stopped being so reliant on unions and they decided to start taking money from Wall Street and all that. Um, yep. But it seems like they can't get out of their own way in terms of recognizing that problem. And they, they, they keep trying to keep the money and somehow keep getting elected. But it, it doesn't really work, does it? Yeah, I think of it as almost learning too deeply the rest lessons of the Reagan era, which just don't apply anymore. Mm. You know, Nancy Pelosi came of political age and came to Congress in an age when conservatives very much owned the political system and the political discourse. And we are living in a generation when the center has delegitimated itself. Right. And we see that by the, you know, the, the fecklessness of corporate Democrats and their complicity in everything from let's say CIA torture to NSA surveillance to the mass incarceration, 
all of the various you know, corporate predatory healthcare system that preys on Americans instead of treating us as people deserving care, racing us off a climate cliff. These are all objects of bipartisan consensus. And the idea that Democrats would be complicit in these ultimately, not even just, I wouldn't even call them conservative because they're not conservative, they are radical, but radically conservative <laughs> right. uh, agendas, I think is something that should alarm certainly everyone who has ever voted as a Democrat. And I think there is a predictable response to that, that frankly long precedes this election cycle. I really locate the roots of my campaign in the Occupy movement. And mm -hmm. I would say the same thing for Bernie. I'd say the same thing of Representative Ocasio-Cortez, the entire squad, all of us popping off around the country, I think are part of a movement that long preceded us. We're part of a movement that will last long after us. I stand on very tall shoulders of others. And part of my job here is to move the movement as far forward as I can, inspire as many voices as I can, liberate this seat, send a signal around the country, and then get into Washington to start fighting for we the people of the United States. Was there one particular moment that this, that, that prompted you to, to, to run against Speaker Pelosi? In fact, yeah, there, there were two, okay. uh, both in 2018. So I ran for this seat last year mm -hmm. and got as many votes in the 2018 primary as Representative Ocasio-Cortez did in hers on the same platform in the same cycle. And so I'm back to finish the job now. And I think it was February 2018 that Speaker Pelosi first, within a period of weeks, she first undermined a proposed surveillance reform uh -huh. that I and my former colleagues at the Electronic Frontier Foundation had worked on for years. And then a few weeks later, she did this stunt where she, she basically filibustered. She read for eight hours on the House floor letters from Dream Act students while selling out immigrants in a budget deal. And it was just and so illustrative of her MO, her, right. her pattern of looking- the whole parties, really. Exactly, the whole party's pattern of looking like they're showing up right. on issues that they refuse to actually show up for. Right, being the resistance. Make, and, make resistance, yeah. Yeah, and, and reducing resistance to a hashtag. And like, I know what resistance is. I'm an immigrant Muslim who's been fighting the Bush and Obama and Trump administrations right. just to try to secure basic civil liberties, you know, our own stated commitments in writing. And, you know, and for me, resistance has looked like everything from laying siege to San Francisco for 36 hours the morning after Bush invaded Iraq, I've done banner drops outside the NSA, light brigades at the White House, you know, music videos that are hip-hop history lessons. I filed cases expanding human rights. I filed cases defending human rights in crisis in the courts, in Congress, in the streets. And, and I'm not willing to let resistance be reduced to a marketing slogan for a corporate political party that is going to be complicit in the aggrandizement of the executive branch and but, the fleecing of the American people. But I don't know if you saw this. This may change your position. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, she gave Trump a standing O, <laughs> but there was a lot of shade thrown. That's right. Um, apparently. She can throw a lot of shade by pointing her finger, too, it yeah. turns out. It's, you know, this idea of governance by photo ops I yeah. find very amusing yeah, and interesting. Yeah. And as a constitutional lawyer, like, I look at that and I recognize that it is nothing more than symbolism. Right. And when, when, the, when resistance is simply symbolic and the road to mass incarceration and mass surveillance and homelessness and mass is paved, by the party that claims to be standing with the people, we have a problem, and I'm not willing to be co-opted by that voice any longer. I particularly like your, your stance on surveillance. It's always been important to you, I, and it's equally sort of mystifying to me that it's no longer kind of important, uh, it seems like, in the public discourse. You know, quote-unquote liberals uh, or the you know, media that markets itself to liberals, it's yes. like that, that issue is like gone all of a sudden. So many things I want to say. They're first just the way that we even throw around the word liberal. Right. Like liberal used to mean the word means right. committed to liberty. Right. But the people we describe as liberals today, we, they don't deserve the word. Right. I'm a socialist because right. I, I'm, I'm very proudly committed to a set of ideals that most liberals aren't 
right. willing to claim, but they won't even claim their own ideas. Right, that's the thing. They're not even liberal. Like, right. I disagree with liberals on things, but there is a coherent ideology there. But these people who we call liberals, like, don't even have that. They're authoritarians. Yeah. yeah. And, and moreover, you know, to think about Pelosi and, and surveillance, think about the role of the whistleblower in the impeachment inquiry. She's relying on a whistleblower from the intelligence community at the very same time that she continues to kick other whistleblowers in the intelligence community down the stairs. She's insisted on rules that allow protections for federal whistleblowers only outside the intelligence community. And she also affirmatively denies most members of Congress access to staff with security clearance that would give them the opportunity to access whistleblower reports. So she's relying on a whistleblower even as she continues to serve as an agent of executive secrecy. Right, right. Well, it's the right kind of whistleblower. Right, right yeah. So she would claim, I think, yeah. What... The, the Democratic Party has had a lot of positions that I understand because they're getting, you know, for instance, donations from the healthcare industry or from, you know, big, big tech, big oil, whatever it is. But sure. the surveillance thing, I've never really understood. Like, what, right. what's in it for the Democratic Party to support the NSA program? Um, and, and why aren't they making more of a fuss about that? I just never, right. I, don't, I don't understand that. So two reasons, at least. I mean, one of them is money. There is a lot of money in surveillance. Remember who Edward Snowden worked for. Right. He didn't work for the NSA. He worked for Booz Allen Hamilton. So right. there's a litany, a legion of corporate contractors that are making hand over fist over this. And frankly, they have bipartisan fealties and allegiances. The second piece here that I would note is I think, and this gets to the co-optation of the word liberal, I think a lot of Democrats look at surveillance through the lens of security theater instead of through the lens of the first, fourth, fifth, and 14th amendments. Mm -hmm. There are multiple ways in which surveillance offends basic rights, and it's not privacy that I'm worried about. I'm worried about speech and democracy because what surveillance means is that even if you have nothing to hide, it means that your vulnerable neighbor who might has to silence themselves. And once your vulnerable neighbors start silencing themselves, we all lose democracy. That's why surveillance is dangerous, because it's democracy killing, not because it exposes anyone. I mean, it does expose people's privacy, sure, and that right. matters. But it's democracy I'm worried about. Yeah. I and heard, I, sorry, I cut you off. Yeah. Well, just that I don't think Democrats look at it through that lens. They, they, they also don't deserve the name Democrats either. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Corporate Democrats. Or I, I heard you on an interview um, talking about how free the First Amendment isn't just free speech, but it, what is it like the right to hear? That's right. Well, how did you put it? Can yeah, every right has that? reciprocal rights. So the First Amendment, we think of it as a right to speech. It's also a right to conscience and a right to disseminate your views and gather people around views and petition the government for redress of grievances. There's a professor at NYU Law School, Bert Newborn, who describes it as Madison's music, this set of interlocking rights to participate in a political process. And one of the most bedrock rights in that constellation of rights is the right to hear. You know, the right to speak is not just one that the First Amendment protects. It's a, it's a collective right as well as a set of individual rights. It's the individual right to speak in the service of the societal right to include all perspectives. And, and it is a very important uh, ingredient in the soup of democracy without which it becomes something very, very different. And, right. and unfortunately, we've been hurtling ourselves down that road for far too long. So you've uh, you've been a, a, a critic of um, uh, former director of national intelligence uh, James Clapper. Quite. Um, can you go through some of that history yeah. and um, and what you think that uh, you know his his role has been in the development of the surveillance state? Appreciate and why that. You got arrested. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I think I'm the only congressional candidate in the history of the republic who's both been invited to brief members of Congress and their mm-hmm. aides. Uh, Representatives Mark Pocan and Rush Holt have both done that on different occasions, and also arrested in the Senate for an act of journalism. <laughs> 
So this is 2015. Um, Senator, uh, former Senator John McCain, someone who I know you love very much, mm -hmm. uh, was chairing this hearing in the Senate Armed Services Committee. And James Clapper, he was uh, the director of national intelligence under the Obama administration, was testifying. And this is two years after there'd been a closed, uh, uh, pardon me, an open hearing in the Senate Intelligence Committee. And Senator Ron Wyden from Oregon asked this infamous question of James Clapper. He says, is the NSA monitoring millions of Americans? And Clapper, who got the question in writing the day before, answers, no, not wittingly, claims <laughs> a year later that his answer was too cute by half after Edward Snowden proved him wrong by releasing the documents that, of course, showed that, of course, the NSA is monitoring not just millions of Americans, but billions of other people right. quite wittingly. Right, right. <laughs> leveraging laws that Nancy Pelosi and others adopted and architected. And the just to finish the loop on Clapper, after the hearing was over, like any good journalist, I stood up and I tried to ask him a question. And what I asked him it's poignant to be in New York as, as we're having this conversation. I asked him, Mr. Clapper, how do you justify escaping a charge for perjury when you lied under oath to the Senate about a grave constitutional offense when Eric Garner was just choked to death in the street in New York? This had happened about three months before at the time without a charge, without a trial, on the mere suspicion of a trivial offense that harmed no one. What do you if have you, to say you continue, to communities of color that are so hyper-policed that we're subjected to extrajudicial assassination for selling loose cigarettes when you can get away? Now. With perjury before the Senate, why is your agency above the law? And when we have lethal justice without a charge or a trial for powerless people, and we have entirely permissive justice that awards public pensions to people who commit grave crimes against the republic and then lie about them under a democratic presidency, right. that was before Trump. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 We interviewed John Kiriakou, who was, you know, right. The idea that the only person from the CIA, yeah. right, who went to prison is somebody who tried to blow a whistle on it, or the fact that, you know, when Eric Garner died, the only person who went to jail was the person who took the video. Right, you know? right. Ramsey or, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. Matt wrote about in his book, I Can't Breathe. All I, I appreciate your reporting a great yeah. deal, yeah. yeah. And I, I will say that your piece on John McCain probably 10 years ago was one of my, <laughs> I love that piece. He's a funny, he's an interesting subject. Yeah. Um, both uh, Clapper and Brennan, they, they both gave inconsistent testimony under oath and, and you know, there's been no re repercussions for it at all. And it, it, it feels like that sends just a total message to everybody that there's a completely two-tiered justice system, yeah. right? Like there are people who literally just commit a violate law on television and nothing happens. And yep. then there's a whole galaxy of other people who, of course, you probably have represented. I mean, the kinds of folks that Chesa represents every day and the kind of people who I think, you know, we're right. all very right. eager to see the rights vindicated of right. people who have, who have unfortunately not had the same rights as others. The further piece here that I think, you know, yes, there's the unequal justice and what that means for the powerful versus the powerless. But it also means that Democrats have been entirely complicit in the erosion of democracy that preceded this criminal president. And the, uh, that's one of the reasons why I think the party doesn't deserve the label, because, you know, the authoritarian party might fit or the right. fectlessness party or the weak party, right. the co-opted party. Yeah, yeah, any of those things. Right. Pick, pick one. Maybe. It's kind of yeah. both. Yeah. It's kind of authoritarian right. and effectless. It's funny, you know, the John, um, Thomas Frank's book, Listen Liberal, Whatever Happened to the Party of the People, that was the first time I really got that it's not that Democrats are inept. I mean, they are in some ways, and it's not that they're spineless, though they are. It's that they want these things, yes. and they need to pretend that they're opposing them. Ryan Grimm does a good job of this, too, in oh, his book, We've yeah, Got we People. Be, uh, I think it's another theme. Yep, yeah. yep, absolutely. We got, we got Ryan. 
<laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We'll get Ryan, yeah. So, so as somebody who's opposing Nancy Pelosi, how much abuse do you get? Oh, as, yeah. I mean, it, I, I feel sometimes, and we obviously talk a lot about this with Bernie, um, but it almost feels like the vitriol is is more intense yeah. for like the people with, who are sort of litigating the schism within the Democratic Party than it, than it it's is almost for conservatives. Yeah. Or yeah, I mean, it, what's been your experience running this campaign? So the only people who've ever called me Osama in a demonstration, I think, are right wingers, <laughs> and that certainly happened. Yeah, the vitriol that comes from the center striking left is amusing to me because it makes me wonder what exactly are these centrists defending other than their careers, and that makes sense to me that they would yeah, be really right. worried the about people like me, <clears throat> right? And the near attendance should, frankly, fear right. people like me yeah. right. because they're not going to have jobs after we win right. our races. Right. Um, and, you know, I welcome whatever vitriol they, they, they choose right. to bring at like me. FDR and Bernie, right? I welcome their hate, <clears throat> yeah. hatred, vitriol. Yeah. That's exactly right. At the end of the day, frankly, my experience in the campaign has been the inverse. I get so much support. I can't walk outside in San Francisco without somebody being like, oh, my God, right. thank you so much. Or go beat Pelosi. Or right. I'm so excited to volunteer on your campaign. Or, oh, I saw you on this. Or, oh, I saw you on that. Riding the bus. If I go running in the park before I make it home, someone will yell, beat Pelosi. I mean, it's crazy to wow. me. Even around the country. Like, I've been on the East Coast this week doing events. And I think the entire country is over corporate capitalism and certainly the co-optation of corporate Democrats. And I don't think they know it yet. Right. The right. corporate Democrats don't realize that I've already eaten their lunch. Right. Uh, but I'm eager for the chance to prove it. And I have about a year to do that. Well, it feels like there's also <clears throat> some of that is a bit, a bit of a media illusion. Like the, if you ask yourself, who, who exactly is the constituency for corporate Democrats? It's donors. It's a few. It's a, it's a very specific type of sort of upper class you know, an urban person who it's has the Upper that East Side, right? The Upper East Side. <laughs> but apart from that, who's like the the constituent for your constituency is like just people, right? And and they're much more numerous, it would seem to me, than than the other constituency. I and, fully agree. And it, it but that issue is just not discussed all that much it seems like in the press they always talk about oh if you if you vote for the democratic socialist then then you're going to hurt yourself in a general right. election I, I, don't, I don't think that's Trump, true yeah. it's, it? it's not true at all i think what you're observing is the same reason why you know bernie's relative success in 2016 and and certainly remarkable success if we think about the way in which he defined the 2020 campaign's yeah. agenda or Ocasio-Cortez's victory in 2018. <clears throat> I think the media landscape still internalizes those things as surprises precisely because elites haven't yet figured right. out that right. the ground has shifted right. and we don't live in Reagan's America anymore. Right. Right. And I think of this as simply through the lens of millennials are already the largest generational voting bloc in the country. And we know that they're the most progressive generation in the history of the Republic. It's inexorable. There's nothing that the centrists can do to stop the future. And I think they're trying. They're doing everything they can to stop the future, but they can't. They just don't have the numbers. And another way to put this is that, you know, my generation, I'm, I'm Gen X, I'm 45 years old. And when uh, I was coming of age, and I think people my age, <clears throat> a lot of us recognized the moral bankruptcy of capitalism and maybe even recognized, I think a lot of us, certainly the moral bankruptcy of the drug war and many of the other issues that we're talking about, wars for profit abroad, all that. But we didn't have the numbers to overcome the boomers and we didn't have the resources to overcome the institutions. And as the boomers fade and millennials take their place, I, that's exactly why I don't think Speaker Pelosi has a chance unless she shows up for the Green New Deal and Medicare for all and starts working to dismantle mass incarceration and ending mass surveillance. But having architected mass surveillance and having been an architect of mass incarceration, having deferred to health insurance companies and pharmaceutical companies that prey on the public to make a profit, having deferred to fossil fuel companies and war for profit that exacerbate the climate crisis. I don't see her 
showing up for the interests of working families and future generations. Right. If she, I would love for her to. Right. I would love for her to do her job. Right. That would be great. Nothing would make me happier. But as long as she refuses, I'm very right. willing to do the job. She's so disdainful and contemptuous, too. I mean, the way she talks about the squad, the way she talked last weekend um, in Bloomberg, you know, she gave an interview saying, I'm, I'm, I know I'm as, I'm as liberal San Franciscan, you know, yeah, yeah. they don't like me because I'm not a socialist. Um, but basically saying, like, I know it'll pass because I'm, I'm in this liberal city. Um, well, that's another trick, though. Yeah, they say, oh, they hate they hate me because I'm, I'm from San Francisco and they call me like, in other words, they, they use the disdain of like Fox conservatives right. as affirmation that they yes. actually stand exactly. for something. But they, right. they, they don't always right? well, and I, yeah. think about where that legitimation comes from. It's conservatives right, that are right. legitimating letting, Pelosi right, by calling frame, her. Right. Exactly. You're letting them frame the ideological spectrum and political right. spectrum. I want to show some people some San Francisco values. You yeah. want to see San Francisco values? They haven't been in the House for 30 years. I will bring the right wing some San Francisco values, right. if that one, is, if that's what they want to see, and just an example, you kind of shouted this out in the <clears throat> in the beginning. It's also poignant to me to be in New York State, where I had a chance to organize the very first litigation vindicating the right of consenting adults to marry a partner of their choice. Up in New Paltz, right? That's exactly right. And people, I think a lot of progressives and liberals will recognize marriage equality as one of the very few issues that we've actually gained ground right. on over the last generation. And I'm very proud to have been an early advocate for it. And the principle I would say that that struggle demonstrates is that when you assert, you can change hearts and minds. And it's exactly the lesson that corporate Democrats either never learned or forgot. And it's the reason why democratic socialists are sweeping the country, because we are willing to assert that human rights should take primacy over corporate profit. We're willing to assert that peace should take primacy over war profiteering. And I think the American people recognize principle when they hear it, I, 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 yeah, and I think that's that's a really uh, important uh, thing you're t you're saying because I always thought that the the Democrats' position on gay marriage um, was predicated on a misunderstanding of the electorate. Right? Again, it was going yep. back to it's exactly what you're talking about. They're they're locked in 1980s Reagan America, and they think that that's the paradigm that everybody's living in. But yep. even you know, as late as the late 90s, if you were if you were on the campaign trail, if you talked to, to voters, you found that. Even conservative voters have kind of come around a lot on that on that issue, and the only way you could not know that is if you literally hadn't talked to people right. for a long time, right? right? Yeah. I, I think the Medicare debate and and the climate Same justice thing. debate both reflect these. I think mm -hmm. many conservative people that the media elite write off yep. as unreachable, right. totally. they all have parents who get sick. Right. Many of them have kids who need right. medicine. Yeah. The idea that medicine should just not put you on the street or threaten you with bankruptcy, that will sell in Indiana and mm -hmm. Alabama. Right, that exactly, will sell in yeah. every right. precinct really and county across that, the country. Yeah. Well, certainly corporate Democrats don't understand Right, it, yeah, right? that's yeah, right. Those people, yeah. <clears throat> they're they're people, also yeah. very, you know, in tune on the surveillance issue, right? right? Yeah. The, you know, they want to get money out of politics. Yeah. Right, Mideast wars, mass yeah. incarceration. Right. I mean, there's, there's like, you know, some room to move on, on some of those yeah. issues, it seems like. It's yeah. one reason I describe myself sometimes as a transpartisan constitutionalist. Like, I am a Democrat socialist and I will right. I'm, I'm eager to uh, establish health care and food and housing as human rights and at the same time I recognize that there are all these principles that bring together the American yeah, people right. regardless of our ideology and regardless of our partisan stripe right. and I think that's the opportunity this moment is to speak to that community of Americans who are willing to see through right. the the contrived dysfunction in Washington. Which is why I think the the kind of contempt for Sanders for going on Fox News is so, where are you coming from? It's like right. so privileged and out of touch and, and putting some weird, like it's fetishizing something over the actual lives of people. And if yes. you care about non-Fox like forget the Fox News viewers. Like if you only care about the most disenfranchised, and of course I think we see people 
who are there are straight white men who are poor and exploited like we're not you know but but let's say you have that very narrow kind of um manichaean view of things where it's like all white people are privileged and all people of color are are not and you know you can never have like people of color with bad politics you know like even if you only care about those people you have to reach these other people because we live in a world where we vote and you have to defeat Donald Trump. And it's it's this weird thing, like with same-sex marriage, we saw that people went out and converted people and they changed hearts and minds. And this contempt towards like, I mean, I, I know that there's this annoying fetishization of the white working class, but of course we should reach out to them. There's no single policy, t- show me the policy that throws non-white people under the bus that anyone on the left is, is pitching right. to the white work class. And another way maybe I'd, I'd put this is, is the triumph identity yes. o- over ideas in the Democratic Party right, yeah. and, and the willing to defer to demographics to describe people's interests instead of actually meeting them where they're at. And Bernie going yes, on Fox right, News is meeting, meeting yeah. conservatives literally where they're at and demonstrating, you know, there was a wild success for his campaign because yeah. he demonstrated to that base that he is standing for their interest, even when the people that they think, you know, like Fox News right. or the president, even when they are not, he's, he right. is uniquely able right. because he's actually willing to call out the principle, not do this, you know, moderate gamesmanship, right. you know, contrivance of a position that they think will survive their false construction of a 1980s right. America. Right. Because he's willing to speak the truth. I think even people who we don't expect to hear it can hear right. it. And, and he's uniquely uh, poised right. to not only beat President Trump in yeah. the next election, but to do it convincingly. Well, he's also focusing on their problems and issues right. and not, it seems like the, the Democrats want, it's almost like they just want to run the same 2016 strategy of just completely talking about Donald Trump all the time and, yeah. and just making it. They want to run the same people from the 2000s. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. And Hillary's giving her, us her thoughts on, on Warren and Bernie. It's like, okay, thanks. Thanks for telling. Thanks for sharing. I don't understand why anybody gives her a microphone. Anymore. I know. It's just amazing. Like she hasn't done enough. Right. Right. Yeah. And it, what about your own? Oh, no good. You you are for impeachment, but your case for impeachment more than for it, you kind of demand, and you think that's Absolutely. one of the big failures of Nancy Pelosi. But your yeah. case for it is not the kind of centrist corporate dem case, which talks all about um, Putin. Right. So what is your case for impeachment? Right, emoluments. So the president well, has yeah. been even before he took office profiting from public service, and there is a clause in the Constitution which prohibits it for a reason. It's corruption. Full stop. First order doesn't take a lot of facts. We have all the facts. It doesn't take a lot of investigation. All the facts are in the public domain. Every time our criminal president takes the Secret Service to one of his golf resorts, we are putting money in his pocket. Every time he invites foreign dignitaries to one of his resorts, we are putting money in his pocket. He's been doing this in the beginning. Every time he puts his name on the side of a building in some other country, right, or even here in the United States, he's profiting off the brand that his presidency is building. And there well, that's no, a more complicated case, though, because he still has a... The branding pieces, right, but, yeah, but the yeah. bringing people to his resorts sure, is absolutely. pretty cut and dry. Yeah, right? that's yeah, prima facie, right? Yeah. Right, and the vice president has also invited dignitaries to Trump properties, which is to say the Emoluments Clause gets them both, and right. it flips votes in the Senate. There is nothing that enrages the conservative base right. more than the idea of their tax dollars being misused, right? right. Yep. And, and if the impeachment proceeding was a litany, just an explanation for the American people of all the different ways that this criminal is stealing from you, that will flip Republican votes in the Senate. But a contrived limited process that turns a blind eye to corruption, and we can explore why, because that's an interesting thing in itself, to focus only on a single act 
I think is set up to fail, especially when Speaker Pelosi was nine months late showing up for the process and is now trying to accelerate it to move before the primary elections. You know, we have a limited process. We have a late process. It's a deferential process. And I want to see a real process that forces the president to be held accountable for all of his not just historical, but his continuing crimes against the republic. I mean, I, I think one of the problems that I've had with uh, both the abortive uh, effort with on Russiagate and now this Ukraine thing is that it doesn't feel like it's about anything right. that, that is connected to an ordinary person. Right. Like yeah. if you if that were if it were about emoluments, it would be about something right. else. But, yes. And this is a, it's, an, it's an incredibly arcane, complicated uh, story in both cases that where you just keep going farther and farther down the weeds and it's farther and farther away from anything that's connected to the ordinary lives of people. And the glaze over the eyes. Yeah. Gets right. deeper yeah, and deeper. yeah. 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 What, what's the purpose? Again, the, the strategy there just it seems so strange to me. I, I can understand a lot of things, but that but that part of it just eludes me. Like, what's what's the motivation to go there in particular as opposed to? I wish I could explain the co-optation of centrist Democrats. I mean, frankly, it is my inability to explain it that drives me to run to replace her (laughs) because there is no good reason. I can come up with bad reasons, but there aren't any good reasons. The the most curious reason, I would say, to, to, to bring into this mix is if we were to chase the violations of the emoluments clause, I think that the violations might lead us in very interesting directions. And I'm sure that they wouldn't be confined right to a single party. Think about, first of all, what President Trump was seeking information about. I mean, just to put the Ukraine thing in context, what we're what we're talking about there is the president inviting a foreign power to interfere in an election. And that is criminal, illegal, full stop, impeachable. Yes. But what he was asking for information about was Democratic Party family nepotism and corruption. And that's why I think one reason the speaker doesn't want to look too closely at corruption, and everyone knows it, the American people recognize that our entire political system is up to its neck in corporate money. It's why we don't have Medicare for all. It's why people die every day because they can't get access to the preventive care that they need. It's why we are racing humanity and the earth, the entire biosphere off a climate cliff. Right. And the only way to get to the bottom of those issues is to get the corporate interests and the money out of politics. I think the emoluments clause would be the most effective way to highlight for the American people all the ways in which that's getting violated. And I do think the fact that these concerns are bipartisan is why I'm here. That's interesting because if you if you did go with the the emoluments argument, you, you would have. You'd be able to talk about so many other things that are that are going on that probably people are only dimly aware of, mm-hmm. right? That that yeah, that would that would open a Pandora's box, right. yeah. which is kind of like we. I I don't think I mentioned this last time when we we're talking about Epstein, but I think one of the reasons people aren't harder on Trump with Epstein is because they know that it would come back around to right. bite them in the Democratic, you know, centrist Democratic corporate ass. Took us, yeah, yeah, yeah. took us, yeah, very yeah. good, yeah. Thank no you. No question. Um, so uh, we, I guess. Should we ask about uh, yeah. what do you think is going to happen in the, the presidential election yeah. going forward, especially in the Democratic primary side? It's so bizarre. Like, this, yeah. this is the weirdest primary season that I can remember. I mean, the, the Republicans last time was bizarre, but this is getting so yeah. strange with Bloomberg now and all oh, that. Yeah. Totally. Uh, what's going on and what are the, what, how do you think this all resolves itself? Yeah. I mean, the, to answer the question, what's going on, I would describe this as a parade of centrist careerist clowns <laughs> trying to challenge Bernie Sanders and derail his presumptive nomination for the next presidency. There's no, I think, plausible case that anybody can challenge him meaningfully, if only because he has more donors than all of the other candidates put together. And and all the polls that suggest that he's in anything other than the front-running position basically systematically undercount younger people. And when you include the entire electorate, he has more support. You see it from the stadiums that he's filling. You see it from the campaigns, like the people who are pounding pavement this far out from the primaries for the campaigns. There's no 
other presidential campaign that has an army of congressional allies around the country like me who are going to be driving votes for Bernie in districts and districts all across the country. People uh, like me in San Francisco, Michaela Wilkes outside D.C., uh, Jessica Cisneros in Texas, uh, Lindsey Boylan and Lauren Ashcraft here in New York City. You know, there is a legion of congressional candidates inspired by Bernie who are part of the movement that includes him. And we are going to, with him and the electorate, when he says, not me, us, that's what he means, is all of us together, we are going to win. And no other candidate in the Democratic Party has a we like Bernie does. Right. And oh, tracing it back to your campaign, relating it to it. Can you talk about the um, talk about the primary, the jungle primary? Yeah. That's right. So with the significance of that and what sure. your campaign is about, what you stand for, what issues. Thank you so much for raising it. The jungle primary system in California is pretty unique. Most people think of primary elections as each party having separate elections and then the top vote getters challenging each other in the general. In California, we put all the parties, all the candidates against each other in the primary election and the top two go to the general, whichever party they're from. And so in March, when we're choosing Bernie over the centrist clowns, voters in San Francisco will have a chance to select me as the number two to challenge Pelosi in November. And then when we're picking Bernie over Trump, if we haven't impeached him yet, that's when I'll have a chance to replace the speaker and liberate San Francisco's voice in Congress. And some of the issues that I'm aiming to run on uh, that I have been running on are securing universal health care. And I want that to be a gateway to expanding human rights to include other basic needs, including housing and food. Uh, I want to dismantle mass incarceration and mass surveillance in which the speaker's been sadly entirely complicit. Uh, I want to particularly guard the future and future generations by securing a Green New Deal, expanding the squad and expanding the voting strength of the bloc that will challenge corporate rule. I'd like to nationalize industries that prey on the public to profit. So that includes weapons manufacturers. That includes potentially public utility companies like PG&E, which is, you know, it's yeah, you've net. got a great one out there. Yeah, we do indeed. Yeah. And we've been pounding a lot of pavement calling for a public takeover of that utility. Mm-hmm. But there are any number of con- uh, companies, entire industries that prey on the public. Health insurance companies are a good example, right? The business model is is inheres in paying out less than you take in from people to pay for their health care. Right. It is right. A, it's in, intrinsic to the business Mandatory model. initial rejections and all that yeah. great crazy. Yeah, exactly. One of the components of the Affordable Care Act was this baseline requirement. I think the number was 25% of premiums have to be paid out. Maybe it was 30, but a, a, a specified number has to be paid out in benefits. And it's striking to me, first of all, that we need that to be articulated in the first place. In California this year, Blue Cross Blue Shield, who was the company that I was um, uh, enrolled with, they didn't meet the number, meaning that they weren't even paying out to the public in benefits, the minimum legal required threshold. And this was supposed to be after a legal revolution, right? I mean, the ACA was supposed to be this big thing. And all it effectively did was force people at the penalty of a tax penalty to buy private insurance off a market with no opportunity for public purchasing power to drive down the cost. And the whole point of insurance is to drive down the cost with public purchasing power. Right, right. And it's just, you, you couldn't design policies that are more hostile to human beings if you tried in the climate context in the foreign policy context in the healthcare context and in all these places i see capitalism which is to say the rule by capital over people demonstrated and i would much rather see people control capital than capital control people mm-hmm. all right excellent yeah. well we wish you luck that's yeah. uh, that's exciting and uh thanks so much for coming on the show yeah. coming from you all that means a lot to me thanks yeah. so much for having me <laughs> thanks yeah shahid 
Buttar was an early advocate for marriage equality for same-sex couples and a prolific organizer in the movement to end warrantless surveillance. Shahid most recently built a national grassroots network for the Electronic Frontier Foundation as the organization's director of grassroots advocacy. He's been building social movements and speaking truth to power for two decades and graduated from Stanford Law School in 2003. And he's running against um, Nancy Pelosi, which we love. You can also find out more about him at shahidforchange.us or .us. And uh, you can follow him on Twitter at shahidforchange. Excellent. All right. Uh, make sure you rate and review us on iTunes, because if you don't, um, Pod Save America wins. The Sharks win. Right. Um, the cat feces that kills uh, otters wins. Pod Save America, sharks and cat feces. Yeah, and right? cat feces. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're all. So we lose. They're all out. of a piece. They're all of a piece. They're yeah. a trio. They're a thruple. Right, a thruple. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, they're yeah. a thruple. Yeah. And uh, it's you the can, holy trinity. The holy trinity of. Um, the unholy trinity. The unholy trinity. It's, it's the Pod shameful. Save America, cat feces, and sharks. sharks. Yeah. Right. Yeah. On a pile of dead otters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. And we a need pi- someone to yeah. draw that. Yeah. Yeah. People, please draw it. And you can find us on YouTube. You can find us anywhere. I didn't realize this. Not just Spotify and, app and iTunes, but anywhere you find your uh, podcasts. Your podcast content? Yeah. All I right. didn't realize that. Yeah. I didn't realize that either. Yeah. So, yeah. And uh, thanks so much for listening. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.